0: Here we are at Pot and Market, Harlem, 2005. Let's say that you are a 69-year-old Jamaican man called Stanford, or Stan for short, who once faked your own death. Thus begins These Ghosts Are Family, the debut novel of Maisie Cart. Published in t- 2020, These Ghosts Are Family is the intergenerational story of the Paisley family, one that harbors many secrets, including the fake death of Abel Paisley, which starts the book, and how the family grapples with history, trauma, slavery, white guilt, abandonment, poverty, and the Jamaican diaspora, among many other issues. Mia Alvar of the New York Times Book Review described the book as a rich, ambitious debut novel, where the ghosts bracingly remind the reader that no family history is comprehensive, that some riddles of ancestry and heritage persist beyond this lifetime. Hannah Georges of the Atlantic wrote that the novel moves across time and space as it deftly weaves the family's paths, a tale of the most monstrous acts, intimate betrayals with unthinkable consequences. Book page, in my single favorite line of any review of this book, said that there is magic in these pages. Maisie herself is a Newark resident. In fact, I asked her on the show after running into her at the Brick City Comedy Review. She was born in Portmore, Jamaica, and was raised in Queens. She is a graduate of Wesleyan University and of Brooklyn College's MFA in fiction program. Aside from being an adjunct in writing at Columbia, she was also a librarian at the Newark Public Library and is a librarian with Donald Payne Tech. So I want to thank Maisie for coming on. Um, uh, just so my first question is, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing okay. How are you doing?
0: I'm fine. Uh, you know, COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it hasn't left us uh, two years later. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, uh, how, how's COVID been um, with you? I know it's obviously a very personal question, but I'm wondering if, you know, uh, you're doing well and your family's doing well.
1: Um, You know, it's it's been, like, rough, Um you know, because uh, my book came out mm-hmm. uh, during the pandemic. Like, a, I think a a week after my book came out, we went into lockdown. Um, so I had to kind of, I was trying to figure out, you know, how to be a writer, how to be a working writer. Um, you know, and, I, and go on a book tour. And I had all these things planned and, you know, everything was canceled. Um, you know, but then Zoom became such a big part of our lives. And so I ended up doing um, a lot of events and getting to connect with a lot of different people that I probably wouldn't have connected with, um, if I'd done a standard tour. So that was like a, you know, a positive thing that happened. But other than that, <laughs> as, it, as it has been for everybody else, it, it's been, it's been a rough, um, you know, it's been a rough time. You know, my grandfather who in certain ways like inspired, um, this book did actually pass away during the kind of first wave. Um, so that was like something that I hadn't, hadn't really expected to happen. Um, but since then, it's kind of, you know, I am I guess I'm just kind of used to this kind of reality now.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm sorry to hear that. I also literally just lost my grandfather last week. Um, so I'm no, sort I'm of, sorry. you know, I, I know how that feels. And, um, you know, I, I completely forgot, like, it didn't hit me that you debuted a novel during COVID and that, like, one of the big aspects of being an author is, at least in the modern sense, is to do these tours Right to yeah. go to go do readings and book talks. What was it like? Uh, were you able to do those? I mean, you didn't mention Zoom, but were you able to kind of do that same level of promotion that like other authors get to do?
1: Um, I I think so. I didn't have like a huge tour planned. It was supposed to be just regional, um, and I did get to do two events. I did an event in person. I did one at Word Bookstore mm-hmm. just before we went into lockdown, and I did another one at Greenlight Bookstore in Brooklyn. Um, so I'm grateful that I got to do those. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it feels like in a way I was able to reach more people through zoom. Um, you know, and also like it was possible to like meet with, with a lot of groups, like informally, like I ended up doing a lot of, um, book clubs because, uh, you know, people would just reach out to me through Instagram, which was cool. And I, you know, I did things in Europe and, you know, I did things, um, in the Caribbean, I actually got to do a few events um, with uh, some Jamaican book groups. And so, you know, I, I don't think that would have happened otherwise. So, it, you know, I did reach a lot of people. I think it's hard. It doesn't feel like you're doing anything because uh, sometimes uh, you're not getting the same kind of feedback. You can't really see the audience. Um, so it feels like you're just kind of talking into a void. But, uh, but you do, I, I did feel like I, I, I got to reach a lot of people, which was great.
0: That's actually really cool because I, I, that's a really important component of the book is the sort of, you know, the the Caribbean um, history that's built into, this, into these stories. And, and I say stories plural because I often kind of feel that it's a, I don't say it's a collection of short stories, it's not what it is, but it's definitely, it feels anthological in a weird way. Um, yeah. That uh, they're all connected for sure. I mean, in the sense that like you literally begin before the book even begins, you get this family tree. Um, which kind of reminds me of Russian literature. It's like, be ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I, and, and look, the idea even with multiple names, because you know in Russian literature, there's often multiple names uh, for characters, yeah. and this definitely has that issue. Um, but that's what binds all the stories, and it's not told chronologically, which is what I, I do enjoy about it a lot, actually, because it, it, it does keep you... You do see the echoes much more strongly because it is not told in that linear way. Um, but... To go back to what I was going to ask, um, you know, what was the reception like for those audiences uh, and those book clubs in in Jamaica? Like, how did... Yeah. yeah. Sorry. uh,
1: Oh, no, yeah. I I, I was really surprised because I, you know, um, I was born in Jamaica. You know, I spent the first five years there. um, And then my family moved to Queens. Um, So, yeah, I I think, you know, I wrote this thinking, always thinking about... um, you know what somebody like me reading it would think about it, and but then also thinking about you know what people actual people living in Jamaica would think about it. And I I was a little nervous that I it wouldn't be read as like authentic enough, um, but no, I've I've had a really great um, reception to it. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people connect. Obviously, it's based on it is inspired by my own experience. Um, you know, so a lot of people connect with the kind of the themes and the the um especially the the reality of having you know these kind of big secrets in a, in a family mm-hmm. that nobody can talk about or, or bring out i think people who have um kind of complicated messy families i think connect with the book on a really deep level um, and i think people are also interested in the history um you know i think even within jamaica there are certain periods um in history that aren't really like kind of talked about or discussed and uh there's still this kind of westernized uh view of history that gets promoted so i think um you know people were eager to kind of talk about talk about um slavery to talk about colorism to talk about uh different issues uh and colonialism that maybe they don't necessarily talk about in school or day to day
0: yeah, that's actually very present in the book, and that's at least one of the things you see very early on. Because uh, you don't open on this, but I think it's in the third. I think it's the second or third story, if I can remember correctly. Um, the The visit of Haile Selassie to, to to Jamaica and the sort of richness of that scene, and it, it, again, it reminds me of other great works of literature that often use you know important events. You know, think of Les Misérables and and the Revolution of eighteen thirty two i think it is right like that's the backdrop for like the development of these characters and yeah um i think what i loved about it is you're, you're quick to highlight how how big of a deal but also how a lot of the characters also see it as kind of i think one of the characters sees like this whole thing as quite silly um mm-hmm. because they're more of a traditional jamaican uh or a traditional i'm sorry yeah. like a, a conservative i guess with a small c jamaican of just like what is this yeah. this kind of um movement um and so i'm wondering if like was that like did you hear about that visit from people that you knew, maybe family members?
1: No, I actually um, just read about it. I was, mm-hmm. I was just reading. Um, I think I was actually looking at. I, I, I did see like the actual visit. Oh no! I, I, um, I bought. Uh, I'd been in this rare bookstore, and I found this um, this book that was out of had been out of print, um, and it had just like black and white photos from. Jamaica in the 50s, 60s and 70s. Um, you know, and one of the photos was uh, from Holly video visit. Um and for people who um, you know, who don't know the background, um, you know, Holly selassie came to visit Jamaica in 1966 in April 1966, I believe. Um and it was really significant uh for people for the Rastafarian community on the island um because they were they had been persecuted for a long time and their religion wasn't Often acknowledged by the government as legitimate, um, so they saw this as some kind of validation for Hali Selassie to actually come, um, you know, and they fought for the right for their kind of elders to be able to meet with him too, um, you know, and they and they did get that. So, you know, it it ended up becoming a, um, a uh, for them for the Hust- Rastafarian community within Jamaica, it became a holiday called Ground Nation Day, um, you know, and mm-hmm. I just had never heard of that, you know, and I think. I was thinking, I think a lot about um, growing up, just kind of the American perception of what Jamaica is and what Jamaica actually is, Um, you know, and I wanted to kind of show that, like show a kind of more view that was realistic to me because I think for for some reason in the Western world, like Rastafarians have come to represent Jamaica Mm. um, when in reality they've been like heavily persecuted and rejected, Um, you know, so I wanted to pick this kind of, this specific day um just so i can kind of bring bring to light those kind of issues especially um you know there there's a character in there uh one of the main characters who's kind of struggling with her own like anti-blackness and her own colorism which that's, that's kind of been ingrained within her um you know and i think uh you know the the American the jamaican acceptance of Holly selassie's visit um you know becomes this watershed moment because it's um you know it's 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 a little it's it's the people on the island finally accepting um you know our african his our african past and our african lineage and you know honoring it instead of just um trying to always aspire to be um you know to fit the like the british image of what's what's beautiful and what's legitimate and what's um you know, of their their kind of history and culture. Um, so this was like a big a big moment, and I want to highlight that.
0: Yeah, but like I I want to emphasize like how nuanced that is too, because you even have like um, it's it's a really wrenching scene. But there's the the cutting of the dreadlocks. The police arrest one of these um, Rastafarians. Uh, I can't remember why they arrest him. I think just because they they want to clear out the crowd or something. And that that's just the the, the horrifying scene of his, his his dreadlocks being cut off um, shows that like. There's still divisions within within that society. That's not yeah. all like one monolithic, you know. Um, I think it's one of the book. What the book gets really, really for me, really rich and, and and complex is that like Jamaican society is full of these, you know, race divisions internally within you know Black Jamaicans, but also class divisions. I mean, this is a book about class. If, if anything, like, um, and yeah, that, that plays itself out in. in I think it's in Brooklyn at the in um, in uh, you know one of the um. One of the descendants of Solomon, I think it's Solomon Abel. I'll just say Abel. I think to be clear, uh, yeah. you know, is a home healthcare worker, right? And, and is just yeah. confronted with this this really horrific woman, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but also someone who herself is traumatized in her own way, you know, um, and and you know, using her class to to to, to control this woman is, uh, you know, it's it's really retching to see that relationship played out. Um, And I'm wondering if that, like, you know, is that something that happens, like, something that you observe a lot in not just the Jamaican community, but I guess, like, a lot of communities that people in service positions, people in lower class positions are often abused in these very strange ways.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, my my mom was, um, you know, I think a lot of the class stuff in the book comes just from observing uh, my parents, like, growing up you know, in Queens, which is obviously, um, you know, a largely immigrant community, um, you know, I, you know, a lot of the people that I knew, like every Jamaican female relative that I knew who came to America with a home health aid, um, that was just what you became, even though, even if you were at, at like kind of a higher class in Jamaica here, um, you know, for a number of reasons, but sometimes also because they don't, you know, they don't always accept um, Jamaican education as like, well you know making you qualified so a lot of a lot of my cousins and aunts who came here ended up having to repeat school um but yeah you know just i think i grew up as the child of a service worker as a care caregiver um you know so i i saw my mother kind of in those positions so she was in some ways the kind of inspiration for the irene character in the book who's a home health aide mm-hmm. um but yeah there i i think also thinking i was thinking too about um when you know going back to jamaica and actually being with family um there who have you know who have uh servants um you know it's it, it's just this this kind of back and forth um and kind of shift in like station you know how drastically immigration can change your your station in life i yeah. think is interesting because you know we're always i think people come here expecting uh, obviously the american dream and that cliche but sometimes it's the opposite and I guess I wanted to kind of show, um, you know, a different representation of that experience. Um, you know, sometimes you your life doesn't change and or sometimes your situation actually is worsened um, by immigration. So I wanted to show, like, uh, the kind of different members in the family and how, um, you know, Abel's decision to fake his own death and create this, this family in the United States, um, how that kind of... Uh, has these kind of drastic consequences for for different members of the family?
0: Yeah, it's funny. I I, I want to highlight a um, one of the um, the the, um, the not scenes, but I guess one of the extended stories in the book where there's a sort of code switching that goes on, right? Where not code switching, but uh, what's a better term for this? The the, the children of Vera come back, <laughs> yeah, and and re inhabit that role, right? That that higher the higher, particularly with this. Um, I I don't know how to describe him. He's a, a sort of groundskeeper, I think. I, the yeah, Vera, it's
1: like while well, in Jamaica you would say yeah. yard man but yeah yeah, he's like a yeah. Gardener. yeah
0: yeah and uh he lives out in the shed but it's clearly I mean I think it's safe to say abused by Vera in his own, in her own way right and and yeah. the, the children come back and absolutely despise him <laughs> despite yeah. themselves you know experiencing that in in America and um it's a sort of uh, I don't say irony it's it's not irony but uh, almost sadness in that like he's also clearly you know, expecting something from that relationship and the children are just there to sort of, you know, I, I know how this feels, right? Like to divide up the property, right? And, or to figure out what to do about about all the stuff that the 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 sort of residue of the estate. And if I'm remembering it correctly, by the way, feel free to step in if I'm misremembering anything from the book. Oh, no, no, um, yeah, you've got it right. Um, and I, I just feel so bad for him. And, and like the funny thing is that they also suppress the memories because they know exactly what what was done to him. Yeah. Because they witnessed it. <laughs> um yeah yeah and, i really
1: wanted to oh go ahead
0: no no sorry uh please
1: oh no yeah just in that in that s- section um i really wanted to um you know i wanted all the characters you know because the, the novel is very much about like people you know processing the, their individual trauma and kind of generational trauma but then um you know i wanted the characters to be complex like i didn't want them to just be victims. Um, you know and that's the reality of real people is that they are um, sometimes they're victims and then in other situations they're victimizers Um, you know and I and so I think especially in situations like that um, where the culture of the culture is a little different um, there's kind of like a level of exploitation that is normalized and so you know I think when the even though the characters are, are from here are living here and experiencing that same oppression. It's like, they just automatically carry out their own roles when they, um, you know, when they go back to Jamaica, but also I think, you know, there's also a part of our, you know, a part of their parents, the Vera character, um, is abusive in, in a number of ways. And there's, and especially to this for people who didn't read it, it's like, well, I don't know if I'm, spo- I feel like I keep spoiling the book, but, um, <laughs> you know she raised, she basically hires this young boy to be her yard boy um and kind of raises him and sexually exploits him um for many years uh, so he kind of is brainwashed into feeling like he loves her um you know and i think it's also the the children not wanting to address um kind of the the dark part of their their mother and instead rather, you deciding to hate this man um instead of kind of confronting who she
0: really was mm
1: which I
0: think yeah, happens a lot. yeah um and this actually touches on another theme of the book which I didn't mention in the intro, which is the sort of um it, it's a sort of two sided coin because Vera is a really weird character like her, she's a really interesting character because she she represents both the bad and good aspect of this but which is like sexuality and sexual expression you know Vera is yeah. basically an ostracized for her sexual expression but at the same time is also someone who's abusing someone else um you know, and she's both a, a victim of that of society's expectations, but also a perpetrator. It, it's just it's actually really fascinating that she exhibits both of those qualities. And there's other characters too who suffer from, you know, being exploited. I mean, that's literally the 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 beginning of the if you go chronol if you were to set up all the stories chronologically, this the slave narrative story that um I think is told through if I remember this correctly, it's told through a journal or a diary of um, several diaries I think the diary both of them yeah it's like a confession
1: yeah. it's supposed yeah. to be like a prison a prison confession
0: right um, and she's also a victim of, of sexual abuse if I remember correctly yeah um, you know not that there's a question buried in this anywhere but I just find it really, really <laughs> really cool way of telling that story because it's not You know, there there are no villains. Well, maybe there are. There's actually a couple people who probably are true villains. (laughs) Um, Almost unredeemably so. But um, most of the characters, there's no clear villain. I mean, Abel, like, as much as he left his family, is also needed to escape. (laughs) Like, I didn't feel bad for him for choosing to... To, uh, I'm trying to think. There's a parallel. There's another book or movie where someone does this. Where someone, oh, it's it's. Oh my God, it's um, Mad Men. <laughs> Don Draper does this, oh, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> where you know he walks out, like you know decides, by, by by sheer by sheer grace of God, is not killed by an artillery shell, but his you know comrade is. Sorry, in Mad Men, and in this case, it's uh it's a, a beam, if I remember correctly, falling on a port. Yeah, um, and that weirdly, as sad as it is, is perfect for him because the body's unrecognizable and he could just inhabit. Oh, actually it's a mistake, right? They actually, it's not like he intentionally does it, they mistakenly do it and he accepts the mistake, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, And then he takes, you know, he takes the dead man's name.
0: Yeah. I hate to ask this, but this is not based on some, like something that you know that happened, right? Or. No, 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 I
1: just, I just like the, the book took me a really long time to write, um, you know, and it, it just kept like evolving into something else over time. So know when i started writing it you know that wasn't the central plot it was actually you know it was um just separate short stories and then later it kind of evolved into like interconnected short stories um and then later it became a you know quote unquote like novel in stories um yeah and so it was kind of later when i decided to um have that be the kind of inciting incident that kind of sets off the telling of the story um, but yeah, that's just something I, something
0: I made up. Um, actually, this is a great opportunity to talk about process because um, I think n- not, I don't want to just talk about the book in this podcast. I actually, would love to talk about being a writer. And I'm wondering, like, where did it all begin? I know this is a very hard question to answer, but like mm-hmm. in your own way, like, was there some like kernel that then grew into something larger, or or it sounds like what you're saying, there's a lot of other stuff that just all of a sudden clicked and came together. Um, yeah. Where, where did the book kind of begin? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I, I thought it began in like grad school, but it actually, I realized that it began in, um, undergrad. Um, and I was taking a creative nonfiction class and I'd already decided that I wanted to be a writer, but I think for some reason, um, kind of all the stuff I wrote was very, um, like the characters were not connected to me at all. Um, you know, and I think it took me a really long time to realize that I could write about, you know, Jamaican people or people who are similar to me and have similar backgrounds. And so, in uh, I was taking a creative nonfiction class and writing these essays about my family. And there was one, we I can't remember the essay, but we read an essay um, where a person is kind of imagining something that happened with between her parents before she was born. And so, we had the assignment, um, the same assignment, is just to write about something. That you've heard from your family, but it actually happened before you were born. So mm. I wrote about um, my father being a police officer in Jamaica, um, you know, and getting into this accident and his partner dying, and you know that being the reason why we immigrated to America. And uh, yeah, so that essay I kind of put away, but then um, when I was in grad school, um, the second the second chapter of the novel. Um, it was just now called The Lamb or the Lion. I actually um, wrote it based on that that essay I wrote in college. Um, yeah, so it was one of the early sections of the book that I actually wrote out.
0: That's fascinating because that's all kind of flooding back into me. I, I read this, just for full disclosure, I read this about a month and a half ago now. Um, okay. And the accident of the police officer and his partner is is very bi- a big deal in the book, actually, too, because I think it's a, it's, it's a sort of... Um, it's yeah. a point of shame for Abel, um, a huge point of shame. Um, and yeah. it, that, that is such a, that's a very, very vivid scene. Not scene, but like talking about that shame is it, it's it's still very vivid to me. And I can't believe I completely forgot about it. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Well, in the, in
1: the novel, it's like different because I have to make it more dramatic. Uh, yeah. Like in the novel, it's like, a, you know, his partner is actually like murdered in front of him. And it's very yeah. gruesome. Um, but yeah, yeah. The real thing was just, you know, a, just a, like a traffic accident.
0: Um, but that's, you know, it's funny that that kind of exercise is a really cool exercise because it allows you to, and it's also very dangerous because I, w- I would definitely run with it, but it allows you to backfill or change that story to fit yeah. a narrative that you want. Um, which probably says more about you than it does about your yeah. actual family. <laughs> um, cause I would totally love to like, you know, this family's my story, my, there's stories my family has told me where I could turn that into a short story, but I would also probably maybe even unconsciously embellish it. Like it's why I could never be trusted to do a memoir of my family because I I know myself, I I would kind of play around with reality.
1: But I think that's the great thing about like writing fiction and writing fiction from family stories is that, you know, when, you know, when you hear all stories from your family, I think in your mind, your mind just kind of naturally goes places and you try to kind of imagine what happened. And But when you're, you know, when I'm writing fiction, I don't have to feel guilty. I can go kind of off the rails. I mean, I think everything in the beginning, a lot of the book was inspired by family um, stories or early memories that I had from Jamaica um but yeah i just kept kind of upping the stakes and you know making the situations more dramatic making them more interesting to me um you know and that's how the book kind of evolved um yeah i think some people have a problem with uh you know i've seen it both ways like sometimes when when people are writing from family stories they feel like this obligation to stick to the facts um which can be a a bit restrictive you know and, and kind of um cause them to stall in their writing, but I feel like I <laughs> I have no problems like going going off the rails. So it's writing from family stories is always the easiest for me.
0: I, I guess this all like, you know, it's worth asking, you know, do you get people constantly like me, haha, <laughs> asking you, you know, is this, you know, based on your father, your grandfather, an ancestor that you researched about? Like, do you find those questions annoying? Do you think they miss the point or are they totally like, you know, fair game?
1: i think it's fair game um and i think you know I, I don't know why we do it but yeah even i find myself reading novels and and you know if if a character is is similar like you know in age and race and culture as the the author like thinking that maybe this is autobiography biographical or something um but you know i think in my case like you know i like to say it's things are inspired but they're yeah. definitely not um a lot of it is just not based in you know something could be in some Thing can inspire you you can get inspired from a real situation but it, the way it inspires you can differ from you know different differs from story to story mm-hmm. so like um you know i do say that the abel paisley character was inspired by my grandfather um but then there's a there's a chapter later on the novel called the still's black eye and that situation like it, it wasn't in, inspired by a person it was more inspired by a setting um, you know, it was because it, it's set in Harlem and it's, so I was inspired by the experience of me um, you, you remembering going to visit my dad in Harlem because he, you know, he lived there when we lived in Queens because mm-hmm. um, my parents got separated um, and remembering, you know, the Harlem of the early 90s and then going um, in the 2000s and seeing like all these luxury, you know, these luxury buildings and just, uh, you know, that that kind of disconnect kind of inspired that story. Um yeah. Was, so it's not always like a person.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask you actually, um, if, let me see if I get this one correctly. I I had a feeling that Ruthie, I think Ruthie is the one we're talking about here, right? It was based on you. Oh, that's,
1: that's a different one. That's yeah. a different.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I am misremembering it because there was a kid yeah. who went to boarding school. I was a kid yeah. of boarding school from an urban, you know, I grew up here in New York, but I went to boarding school and I was like, I know exactly that kind of character. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah, like you you, you described that kind of person to a T. I don't know if you were exposed, like if you yourself, I, 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 when I did a research, I found out you went to Hunter High. So I was like, okay, you didn't go to boarding yeah. school. But it's it's, yeah. it's similar enough. Hunter High is like an elite New York City high school. Yeah. Um, you, But like, I was like wondering if you actually knew people who went to boarding school because it's ex- I was like, I know exactly people that happened, like the same exact thing happened to. Yeah,
1: no, I had a bunch of friends in college who um, were in this program called Prep for Prep. Yep, yep um yeah so they were uh yeah they i we talked about those kind of experiences and i think you're right like hunter for me was like a very drastic culture shock um because i had gone to this very like you know diverse uh public you know public school in queens and then i went to hunter um which is uh where like even though it is a free public technically public school like a lot of the kids felt like they were like significantly wealthier than me Mm -hmm. um but yeah i i i feel like also i just working um, in education and, and also being in a, li- a library. I do talk to a lot of newer kids who um, are in programs where they also have gone to boarding school. So maybe, you know, part of it drew from that ex- those experiences too.
0: Um, have any of the, uh, the students who frequent the library read the book? I- I'm sure they have, but like, have you met any that have it actually told you they've read the book?
1: Um, I don't know, because I, you know it came out just during the pandemic. Mm. So all the kids I used to run the, you know, manage the teen room in the main branch. Yep. Um, You know, so I told the, told them about the book, but it's not like a YA book and there's a lot of things in there. So I don't want to like push it on kids just in case the parents get mad. Um, But, but yeah, I I haven't. And then like, I think a year after, um, you know, I left. So I, the kids hadn't started coming back at that point. So I don't, I don't really know. Um, I don't. I don't know if I've talked to any kind of young people who have read the book.
0: Yeah, mostly no,
1: just college students. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, it, you're right in saying that's not YA, but I would. not There are definitely some high schoolers that I would be more than comfortable giving this book to, um, only because I think it allows them to make that leap. Um, yeah. it, it's a good. Um, and 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 don't read anything more into this than like legit. It's a good, good transitional book for. Experimental fiction, I think, is it's 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 coherent enough that you're like I, like I would never kid, give a high schooler Ulysses, I, like it just it yeah, <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> um But like this is like it's 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 not linear, it, but it's still you know you understand what's going on, but it also plays around with a lot of stuff. um And uh, I mean, obviously, the language too. Your your style is, is a very rich one, and and I found that very. A very fun part about reading the book. I definitely hit a wall like once or twice where I had to put it down, walk away for like two days, and come back to it. Oh, really? Um, But 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 that's any book. It's it's not a function of the language. It's a function of just of of needing to restart my mind. This never happens to me with nonfiction, um, but it does happen Mm -hmm. to me with fiction all the time. I I, Sally Rooney. This I just read her new book, and the the same thing happened. Uh, A friend made fun of me because yeah, we were supposed to be reading it in tandem, and she finished it like three weeks before I did. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there being like, anytime, anytime. Not my favorite yeah. of hers, though. I, I like Normal People still the best. But
1: Yeah, I do really like Normal People. Yeah. I, I bought her new book, but I haven't gotten around to it yet.
0: Yeah, when you finish it, um, <laughs> let me know what you think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but to go back to yours, I you know, speaking of like accessibility, um, and obviously you might be very limited in talking about this, but... I really think this could work as not a movie, definitely not a movie, but a mini series. And I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. you know, do you have any aspirations to see this transformed into another medium?
1: I do. I, I, um, I do have like a TV agent, Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, I don't know. I mean, yeah, that that is what we talked about, like a mini series, um, a a limited series. And, you know, it, it would be interesting, but I think it, I think it really depends on the director. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, like there are some, it's, it's very hard to find most, you know, books with all Caribbean people. I mean, movies or TV shows that are all Caribbean people where they get, you know, actors who are actually Caribbean and can do the accents. And, you know, um, you know, I think I, I have you seen small acts?
0: No, I haven't.
1: The Steve McQueen series. Yeah, like, I, think I know I need you know, Yeah, like that was the most um, I've never seen like a a TV show with Caribbean um, with all Caribbean cast that was so well represented um, and, you know, and and getting kind of the right actors to even even though not all of them were actually. born in the caribbean like i think they still like you can tell that they work to have like authentic accents and you know otherwise it just gets distracting like you know i don't know if you've seen luke cage season two oh, where everybody had like a had a, like a crazy um fake jamaican accent but um yeah i think i i want i wanted it to be on screen but i i think i would want a caribbean um a west indian director to mm. to actually direct it
0: yeah i heard um that everyone in the UK watched that <laughs> like it was a huge deal and I, I know some people in America did too but it, it didn't really that show did not make as much of a splash here as I think it did across the pond um but I do need to watch it a lot of people have told me to um, I feel like my stack keeps well both my book stack and my my TV show stack keeps getting bigger and bigger but if this gets turned into a TV series it jumps the line <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah um but uh yeah, th- yeah it's a- I'm sorry, please.
1: Oh, no, I was going to say, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it would be interesting, but then, you know, the scope is kind of weird because it's also like a, it's it's a period, it would be need to be a period piece and then it, you know, it jumps countries and I think it might be like a complicated thing to mm. shoot. But yeah, I, I would love to see it.
0: Yeah, but that's the beauty of being in the era of peak TV, right? You know, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of ambition now, which allows for a lot more of this. Um... I mean, look at succession. I mean, like, They're filming, they're doing that, they're not doing period pieces, but, like, they keep jumping around the world, and, like, no one bets. And I know, granted, that's prestige HBO, and, like, that's always going to have a lot of bigger guns. But I think with this one, you know, I feel like actors who are looking for really rich roles to play, I think VR is the first one that comes to mind, I feel like that I could easily see becoming an Emmy, if not winning a nominated role for the right person who does it. And I think that may be true with any character period in any book, but for this one, I think, you know, there's the person's given so much to work with, with that character. Um, yeah. you know, able to an extent too. Um, although you might need two different actors. Cause I think old able and young yeah. able, whereas like Vera yeah, dies, yeah. Vera dies young enough mm. that like you could probably get away with it. Um, yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, sorry, not to not to stoke those, you know, those flames, but like, um, I'm, I'm always excited to see, you know, I feel like there's an underrepresentation of sort of this is not really a Newark story, although Newark is referenced in the book at one point. Um, yeah, if, there's if, like one. Um, <laughs> but it's, like yeah,
1: the Ruthie, Ruthie character lives in lives in Newark.
0: Right. Um, you know, I feel like there's not enough Newark representation in in TV writing and TV Um the exception yeah. of being Michael B. Jordan, but. Oh um, yeah. Yeah.
1: There are a lot of actors, I feel like but just not yeah. maybe directors.
0: Yeah. Directors, writers, that kind of, you know, the people to actually tell the stories, uh, um, and to dominate the narrative, you know?
1: Yeah. Uh, I was, I mm-hmm. interviewed like Brit Bennett actually, mm-hmm. um, you know, in her novel, the, the vanishing half is yeah. being turned into a limited series. And I kind of asked her about, you know, writing, um, if she would want to write the script and she was like, absolutely not. (laughs) But I think, I think um, what she did was for her first um, novel, the mother's like, she actually wrote the script. And that was something that maybe um, I think that's how she got it made or got it Mm. uh, sold. And so that's something I kind of have been thinking about, um, you know, further down the line. It's like, if nobody has any interest, then maybe I'll try to like write the script or like for the first episode myself, just to see, um, just to help people with like figuring out how to kind of adapt it.
0: Yeah, that's gotta be a hard thing about being an author. I I, I write myself too, and I keep wondering like if some of the stuff I've written, would I would prefer someone to take it away and do the best with it, or would I still wanna retain that control? Um it sounds like you, you're thinking about it more from the perspective of just making it easier for everyone involved to 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 help understand the story and how to portray it. Yeah.
1: Because since it is nonlinear, um, mm-hmm. yeah, and it is kind of experimental, like just kind, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think that might be uh, kind of like a block for for some people. It, mm-hmm. It's not might not seem like as kind of palatable right away because it's not like an easy novel. But uh, but we'll see, we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, no, and I and I wish you the luck, all the best luck with that because you know. I understand, like, not that I personally understand, but I understand from, you know, my own reading of the industry how, you know, how much of a struggle it is to, to 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 get, you know, your stuff, you know, to a wider audience. And, you know, I think you have something here, though, at least, which is, you know, a good ammunition to whatever it is you want to do. Um, yeah, and I'm wondering, like, you know, would you continue doing novels? Or are you thinking about other forms of writing?
1: Um, I'm... I'm still thinking about, I'm still doing novels. Like I just mm-hmm. handed in my second, like a draft, a full Ooh, draft of my nice. second novel. Um, so we're in the editing phase now, um, you know, and I do have like other books that I really want to write before somebody else thinks, <laughs> thinks of the same ideas. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, 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 I've I always been like interested in TV writing, me and my friend, um, this chapter, I still as Black Eye, we had tried to write like a script, uh screenplay based on that chapter but uh we just kind of gave up <laughs> but um you know I, I'd like to go back to it eventually um but yeah I just I'm con- contractually obligated to write this book right now but um, <laughs> in the maybe Nothing, once that clears up
0: <laughs> nothing's better than a contractual obligation to produce art <laughs> um You know, what's funny is um, I I keep lamenting that, um, you know, we don't really have a repertory theater here. And, uh, you know, I wonder if like that script you are designing for TV could also maybe migrate itself to the stage, which is not the same. I I, I think a lot of people misunderstand that these things are not one-to-one, but Mm -hmm. um, it'd be really cool if like you maybe could turn one of these into a stage play. Not the whole thing, but like... um, I know what's really weird is the one that actually comes to mind, sadly, is the, is the, is the, I can't remember her name, the white girl who goes down to Jamaica. Oh, oh
1: Debbie. Debbie, thank Debbie. you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my
0: God. That is, a, that's a very, and that's not funny, but it's a very.
1: I mean, uh, it's, parts of it is yeah. supposed to be funny. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a, a quirky, odd, I don't know how to describe it, but yeah, it's, um, this is like, I think when I said white guilt, this is the most obvious, uh, exploration of that theme in the book. Um, Yeah. uh, And that could be... Obviously, it has a lot of... um, It has a lot of uh, geographic importance in that story, but it's also one of just, like, a person... Like, like she's reading a horror story and (laughs) is so horrified by it, but then also mystified and becomes, like, attached to the physical paper itself and thinks the paper has some magic... Like, it's actually the closest you come to not... I don't want to say magical realism because this book definitely isn't that but it's definitely the closest the book comes to in the sense that like someone is driven mad by a piece of paper, which is kind of, yeah. Yeah. Kind of really yeah.
1: Cool. And there are like, um, yeah, I, I, cause I intentionally tried to, um, you know, have the supernatural as kind of like a metaphor for trauma. Mm. And so, yeah. yeah and, and not, not in every story, but in, in most of the stories, there is like kind of a, a, the characters are having some kind of supernatural experience.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, until the last, the last section, which is even more like a, a full blown. You know, oh, that is true. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely forgot about that. You're right because there there are some supernatural points um, in the book. Um,
1: yeah, and the first, the, the opening. Um, yeah, it opens with a ghost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in the
0: you know the the first chapter
1: is the true death of Abel Paisley, and it it in part of it, it's like Abel wants to do this, make this confession to his family about faking his own death um but then you know the ghost of his dead wife is also there and yeah. so yeah I, I wanted to have like those kind of moments where um you know trauma kind of kind of kind of uh, transforms or manifests through this um kind of metaphor of this the supernatural
0: but you know what's also funny is you also have an exorcism and it's clearly a fake like, like it's she's not yeah. she's not like possessed right even though the rest of the town wants to think she is because they need her to be possessed in order to explain why she's doing these things they'd rather her not do. And um, that kind of turns everything on its head because it's like, you know, there are ghosts, but at the same time, there aren't ghosts. <laughs> right? Yeah. There, there, there aren't like demons. There aren't these kind of supernatural elements. Sometimes it's just humans are the actual perpetrators of of their own evil, it doesn't require a supernatural element. I, I'm not saying that, like, I think you're just playing around with that, which I think is really cool to see, Um that it, it does play around with both the fact that there could be supernatural elements, but there are also sometimes, you know, uh, sometimes a pipe is just a pipe, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, I, I, you know, and I think I wanted it to reflect the kind of way I grew up. Um I, And I think a, a lot of cultures are like this. It's just like, um, you know, I didn't really think about, as an adult, it's not mm-hmm. like I believe or don't believe uh, i feel like we just grew up hearing these stories and the people telling them believed so strongly um you know and i i kind of wanted each of the the supernatural experiences to be able to be read both ways like if you want to Mm -hmm. believe that this is happening or if you don't want to believe that this is happening um you know it's it's a kind of a different experience based on the telling who's telling the story um which is kind of true of a lot of family stories um you know different family members will tell the story completely different and have a completely different experience so i think that's part of why i you know had had the whole novel be kind of nonlinear with multiple narrators and i wanted some of the characters to kind of remember the same incidents or remember the same person kind of in completely different ways
0: yeah that, that definitely is true um i think i did notice that at one point where it's, I, I don't want to say people are misremembering, but you're definitely going, that That lens is present whenever someone projects back into another person's story. Um, and I, I think I didn't, I can't. I wish I had taken better notes. I, I definitely remember that happening at one point. Um, where, yeah. Where you get the actual story. I mean, this is all like, it's all contingent, but like you get like what's told to be a story and then you get what actually happened. I mean, the best example of this is Abel, you know, what's said to have happened versus what actually did happen in terms of him dying. You don't see me with my scare yeah. quote, my little bunny ear scare quotes right here. Um, uh, yeah, and I think yeah. like
1: the Vera character too, um, who was like horrible in mm. certain, you know, in, in certain moments in certain stories, but, um, you know, obviously uh, her, you know, the, for people who haven't read, you know, she has two children, Vincent and, and Irene, and, you know, in Irene's Irene's re- memory and perception of her, she was like an abusive monster. But in Vera, in Vincent's perceptive, perception of her, she was like a loving, yeah. you know, she was a loving mother. Um, you know, and that also happens in families.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's really made clear. And in, in when he, because he witnesses the, well, they all do, but like he, it's through his eyes that we see the exorcism, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, from his point of view. Um, actually, can I just say the funniest scene in the or the funniest uh, line in the book? I can't. It's not the exact line, but like um, in deeply Protestant Jamaica, <laughs> they're performing a Catholic exorcism. I think one oh, of them yeah, says yeah. like, "You have to say." I think it's Hail Mary, and they're like, but wait, what? Like, like or, do, do you remember the line? It's like they they have to say a Catholic That's- prayer.
1: No, she's like she's like. Since when are you Catholic? You know, we always go to like a Pentecostal church or something. And Um, and
0: it's like, well, I don't care. Like, it's like it's what they do, and it works. It's sort of like they may be Catholic, but this process works.
1: (laughs) And that might be my own like that might have been my own like ways of getting out of like figuring out how to do like a Mm -hmm. a, you know a Pentecostal like exorcism, which probably would have been more realistic. But uh, you know, I I think I I did want to like like reference like tv um you know and it's like on tv you always see catholic kind of exorcism so i just kind of
0: i wanted i wanted to put every
1: and every kind of like horror movie cliche in there
0: well i think it definitely works too because it allows the the women who are performing it to distance themselves from what they're doing as a psychological matter which i think for them it's important like they know they have to do this but they also don't want to accept that they have to do this if that makes any sense um it's just a horrific scene. I mean, like, oh, there's a lot of, like, obviously, this book is filled with, 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 um, I wouldn't say like traumatizing, like, that's going a little too far, but definitely scenes where you definitely have to, um, you definitely feel what's going on and, and, and feel the pain, the, the trauma. And that's definitely one of those, cause most importantly, because it's told through Vincent's point of view. And I think he, I mean, he's traumatized also as well, both by that, by also, by also witnessing his mother, you know, with, with the yard boy, um, I yeah, remember his name, Bernard. Yeah. Bernard, thank you. Um, and you know, like, I, I don't want to reiterate too much, I might be beating, beating a dead horse here, but like, that's I think what makes the book so, like, really uh, electric in its own way. Um, you you do you, you're really good at scene setting, which I, I do like. Um, oh, thank you. Um, but yeah, uh, and I think, yeah, I
1: think some people have said that, um, oh, I, I like. I think uh, there are a lot of conversations about like, you know, black writers writing, just writing trauma for the mainstream mm. um, publishing world and how they love that. And, you know, I, I always find it really offensive, um, you know, because I, A, I feel like, you know, this book has a lot of characters like wrestling with their trauma, but I don't think that's all the book is. And that's not all, all these characters are. So, you know, it was important for me to make things funny um, too, because that is, for me, that's like real life, um, you know. So I, I, wanted, I want there to be kind of like a roller coaster of emotions, um, you know. And I want, um, you know, yeah, I want, I want, I want things to be heavy and visceral, but I also want, um, you know, them to be light at, at different points. So,
0: yeah, you know, it's you know, it's funny. Uh, not to, to spoil something, but the quote I picked for to end the podcast is a quote from Toni Morrison, and I think she was probably the first black maybe female writer who's explicitly confronted and had to discuss this in a way that I think black women writers before her didn't because simply because they weren't mainstream enough. Um, But like, I think like in the book of essays I have here, she confronts that, that problem of being like, this is why we write about this because it doesn't, you know, it's, it's, it's a rich place to, from which to write from. It's not because, um, you know, it's something like, you know, it's not something that's inherent to the black community trauma. It's just like, that's what it, it's a way to, she's, I, I'm trying to channel Tori Morrison you see I, I'm failing miserably, <laughs> but in these essays that I have here, like she, she does talk about that issue. And, and I think she really does. Um, She really does hit it squarely on the head on why it's still important to write about those experiences, you know, whether it's in beloved, the bluest eye, um, you know, Sulla, all those other books, um that it's it's still important to talk about it's not um i mean but like that's all the literature too is trauma i mean like let's be real yeah yeah exactly yeah like the odyssey like emmy wilson just retranslated the just i mean it's already a few years ago but she retranslated the odyssey and like the odyssey's full of trauma like and people perpetuating trauma because they experience trauma um it ends with the whole village being murdered because (laughs) yeah you know because uh just People are pissed, right? And uh, I think I think that's you know I think it's unfair to, to to ascribe that to a whole class of writers to say that like they write too much about trauma. Um, I don't know. Sorry, yeah, I'm, I'm, like, what, a, I'm like meandering yeah, at this point. No.
1: Yeah. No. I I, I always find it like something interesting to talk about because it it, it just it's well I, I feel like it's partly being on like social media too much but mm-hmm. people just having these random quotes like no more black right no more black trauma um but it's like you know there's a difference between writing about trauma and then writing producing trauma porn like yes um, exactly
0: yeah that's you know, good way to put it yeah
1: in. there's like a clear line and i you know i definitely try to stay on the other side of it but um yeah i i think i agree with you know Obviously, like Toni Morrison was a big inspiration, I should say, for this mm-hmm. book, too. Um, you know, like I, I did reread Beloved while I was writing it. And then A Mercy um, is just one of my favorite books in general. So I reread it all the time. Um, you know, and I think, you know, there's so many different experiences. And, and I, I, you know, it's like I'm not just appreciating um, it's like beyond story, it's also the character development, it's also her language. It's like there's so much more to a novel. Um, you know, it's not just about plot. Yeah. Um, which I'm, I'm kind of rambling, but <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm going to keep writing about this stuff. Um, yeah. and I'm going to write like probably another, at least one book, that also another book that I plan to write in the future also deals with slavery. Um, so I feel like I'm just going to keep hearing this, but, you know, I, I think it's, it, it erases readers. Um, you know, when people kind of say this, because there's so many people who connect, you know, with either connect, um, you know, kind of on a personal level in in books that are about trauma or are just interested in, you know, kind of historical periods who know that slavery, um, you know, it it was such a long part of our history Mm. and there's so much more. I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface, Um, you know, so there's just so much to write about.
0: Yeah, it's so funny because I'm just thinking about this, you know, to go back to Steve McQueen, right? Like... This is why Twelve Years a Slave was so huge when it came out, and I feel like people. I feel like that's kind of faded a little bit, which is sad because I actually really thought the movie was really, really well done. But it was like I think the first mainstream American movie to put that out there, and it wasn't. Again, it wasn't trauma porn, but it was also very honest about. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, now we're dealing with sort of nonfiction there. I mean, it is novelistic in its own way, but it's a. It's actually someone's. Um, you know, memoir. I think it was yeah. technically Solomon Northup's memoirs, or however, however he wrote yeah. it. Um, And, you know, it's, um, it allowed an American audience to visually see something that like, maybe I guess Roots was the probably the biggest example that at least in America, I can't think of any others, honestly, where it was such a widely watched film or TV show. And so to say that, like, it's being done too much, I feel like is not, not right, because it, it clearly Americans haven't consumed it enough to internalize it given given the debates we're still seeing today about yeah exactly um but yeah so like you know just to you know sort of come to a little bit more of a close um you know uh obviously i like i really love the book and this is i guess you know will function as a recommendation for the book i think listeners if they have the time and the means they should read it um it's obviously available in print uh i think you self-read if i remember correctly for your audiobook right
1: no, no, oh, you didn't. Actually, oh, okay, okay. Uh, no, no, I refused to. Stop <laughs> um, I had, I asked them to get an actor, got it, um, okay. and they did. They found like a great Jamaican actor. His name is Carl O'Brien Williams. Um, I think he's actually on staff. He teaches theater um, in the CUNY system, and yeah, he he read it, and he does like a million different voices. He's really he's really talented. He does like a different voice for every single character. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. It's, it's it's a very different i think experience reading the audiobook
0: yeah sorry I, the reason why i conflated this is another friend of mine wrote a really great book um which i recommend to everyone which is we keep the dead close which is this great nonfiction. Oh, book. okay. um it's about a murder that occurred at harvard in 1969
1: and oh okay i i that's on my list I've,
0: yes I've oh please, read, read if you that, read it yeah. i will talk to you about it i actually know I, I i actually have met the uh met sorry i've talked to her over the phone because of an event we wanted to do with her for my um I'm part of the Harvard Club in New Jersey. you wanted to do an event with her. And um, it's just a great book. And uh, the reason why I bring it up is because she told me over the phone that by some weird quirk, she ended up self-reading her book. And I thought that was you oh, too. Okay. This what happens when you know authors. You think they're all this. You're like, oh, wait, which author yeah. Did I do I remember doing that? Uh, but that's actually really cool that you will hire an actor because, uh, you know, I personally am not a big consumer of audio books, but you know when you get a good actor doing it i know this is a weirdly weird example but jeremy irons reading lolita i don't think there's oh, anyone yeah. else who could do yeah, that that's
1: one of that's literally one
0: of my favorite audiobooks um, uh it's, yeah it's just and if you want me to if I, if I could recommend a podcast on my own podcast the lolita podcast is a mini series um talking about the problems with trying to portray that book in other medium or other media sorry uh If you haven't listened to it, Maisie, I really recommend it. And listeners, like, it's um, uh, this, um, I can't remember her name, unfortunately, but this podcaster, she uh, delves in and interviews all these people from the different, like, she also goes into the history of the writing of the book, but also how it became a movie several times, how it became a Broadway show, and just the the horror stories with the book, and how everyone misremembers everything about the book, even people who are portraying it. Like, the fact that, like, Dolores is 12... And not sixteen, yeah. like all this kind of stuff. It's just like it, it's just mind blowing, uh, and I really recommend it. And I also recommend listening to Lolita by Jeremy Irons because that's just uh, yeah no, scary. It, it <laughs> it's really scary. great.
1: Yeah, that was the, <laughs> that was the book. That was listening to that made me kind of get into audiobooks because I'd
0: never really mm. been into them before. Um, I guess you know the, before we close out, like, uh, do you have any books you would recommend aside from your own that you think listeners should read that maybe? Tie into some of the themes, or some of the writing, or inspiration for the book. Because um, yeah, you mentioned sure. Toni Morrison yeah. earlier, and you know, um, I guess Lolita. Well, not this is doesn't tie to Lolita, but I guess the idea of listening to audiobooks. Yeah, I think yeah.
1: Um, there's a novel called The Prophets by mm. Robert Jones. Yes. Jr. I,
0: oh um, no, no joke! I'm staring at it right now. I have it on the top of my uh, stack. <laughs> uh, I was recommended yeah, that no, book. That's, yeah, know
1: that's a really brilliant book. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a good example of how there are so many. Um, you know, it, it's set during slavery, um, and it's it's set in America, and there's uh, it's about like a you know it's a love story between two um, two gay men who are slaves who are enslaved, um, you know. And I it's it's just so well written and so like engrossing, um, and yeah, I actually went to um, grad school with Robert Jones Jr. Um, mm. Yeah, and we both took a really long time to write our books. <laughs> so we've talked about that before, but that's a, that's a really great book. Um also um lo- I know it's it's like won every award, but Luster um, by Raymond mm. Leilani. It's not I don't know if yeah, there's ol- not a, a direct connection, but it's a fun it's yeah. a fun read.
0: I, ol- is, I only yeah. got two chapters into. I need to finish it. I have a problem where I start books and don't finish them. Um, I got to the point where she goes to the amusement park or whatever it is with it with with the person she's seeing that's as far as i got into the book yeah and yeah. i really no, should finish no, it good. um i'm so bad i need to finish these things
1: that's <laughs> no it's like a wild book I loved, I, I loved it um yeah those are some of some oh also uh, a really great memoir um that i read is aftershocks by nadia Ouso.
0: Mm, i don't know that one. um
1: it came out yeah it came out like last last year um it's also uh, a Simon and Schuster book. Oh, I can, yeah, I actually have a bunch. That I uh, there's also this book um, called "All the All the Water I've Seen Is Running" um, mm. by another Jamaican author, Elias Rod- Rodriguez,
0: which I'd recommend. Cool. Um, and listeners, I'll I'll put links in the show notes for all the things that were recommended here, as well as a link to your uh, to the book page on your publisher's website, as well as to any audio or other. Uh, formats the book is in um so just to wrap up the podcast i'm gonna end uh with a question i i ask all my guests which is what are you excited for in newark
1: um just because it's very cold i'm really excited for spring (laughs) to come (laughs) back um yeah to i usually like i like to write in actually like military park a lot just like sitting outside and i miss being able to do that
0: Um, Um, I've actually done that. I've written an entire play, which I've never published, but I I need to fix it up in, uh, right next to the carousel. Um, so I've actually done this. I've done this. Like it's, it's it's, for some reason that park is the best place to write in Newark. And I don't know why.
1: Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, it was great just during the pandemic to have some place to go, you know, to still be able to, to go be around people and still be able to write. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, things are opening up again. Um, I'm excited that businesses are opening again, that uh, Marcus BMP is back open. Um, you know, I am ex- i haven't been to the Newark Museum in a while, but I want to get back there. Mm. Um, and even though I don't work at the library anymore, I, I'm excited, you know, to go back more frequently. Um, you know, I, I went to the um, Philip Roth lecture and I, I want to get more into programs, in-person programs when they started mm. back up.
0: Wait. That was can I, just a quick note about that. That was insane. Yeah. That lecture. I <laughs> did not expect that. So it was, um, uh, I, I can never say his name correct. Ayad Akhtar. Ayyad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, that got published the next day, I think in the New Yorker. Um, and it being yeah, kind of yeah. a big, I
1: think it was it, the Atlantic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The Atlantic. I'm sorry. It was the Atlantic. You're right. And it ended up being a big, pretty big piece because I, th- I think there's a lot of talk about it and it, if you read it, it sounds even more scary in person. I'll just—I I left being like, yeah, "Oh my yeah. god, there's no hope for humanity."
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> which is so funny cuz like I I love the other ones like Zay Smith was great. I actually liked her because she was like kind of, her whole speech was like I don't know why Philip Roth picked me for this. <laughs> cuz yeah, he was still he was it. picking the, spe- the the writers until he passed away. And then um you know Simon Rushdie was great, Robert Caro. I love Robert Caro, but he was just doing he was he was repeating speeches he's given in the past because he needs to focus on oh, his really? writing. Yeah, he needs to focus on his writing, which I don't blame him for. <laughs> so like any time spent you Know creating new speeches for him is just wasted time. Um, oh well. Um, but uh, I do love those lectures. I have to re- and I just I'm going to re echo your sentiments because uh, I'm not that I, I'm so like I'm not like some other people who are like dying to get back in person despite you know the omicron variant bandying about, but yeah. you know, I do miss some of the smaller things like the lecture, like you know, the museum being like really kind of weird to go into right now. Um, although like. They, they were the first ones to do vaccine mandates and temperature checks, but I, I think it's more the norm now. But it was also weird because you have to do appointments. I don't know if they've oh, stopped. Yeah, do- yeah. I don't know if they stopped doing that, but um, I don't know. But they are. I don't know if you've seen the Valentine houses all covered up because they're trying to fix it up, but it won't be reopened. Until, oh yeah,
1: it was. Wondering.
0: Yeah, twenty twenty three. I think is when they're going to reopen it, which makes me a little oh, okay. sad. Yeah, um, but otherwise, yeah, I think for me, just it's the same thing. You know, uh, I just. I still love walking in the winter but like you know for it to be a little warmer would be a little nicer and um you know hoping that like the surge is over and people can be less worried um would be really nice um so I'm just going to end with the quote as I usually do which is uh Tony Morrison which by weird coincidence is also someone you um admire which is great um yeah. I pulled this from her lecture for the Nobel Prize in Literature Um, which she won in 90, oh God, you probably know this better than I do, 96, 97, somewhere around there. Mm, Um, I'm not sure actually. um, And uh, it's in a collection of essays, speeches, and uh, and meditations called The Source of Self-Regard. And here's a quote. Underneath the eloquence, the glamour, the scholarly associations, however stirring or seductive, the heat of such language is languishing, or perhaps not beating at all if the bird is already dead. Thank you.